0: We're going to pick up this message almost mid-sentence. We've been in a series of messages, uh, and we believe it's a word in season that God has given our church. Three things, three instructions. Number one, he's instructed us to be strong. Uh, Number two, he's commanded us to stabilize. Stabilize. That means minimize or eliminate the chaos in your life. And number three, he's inviting us to stretch. He's inviting us to stretch. So we started this series of messages about what it looks like to stretch, particularly learning how to stretch In the season of your famine. Uh, uh, Sometimes I wonder if as Christ followers we have ever come to the realization that many are the afflictions of the righteous. But God delivers us out of them all. There are seasons in our walk with God that are cyclical. There might be some times when you're on the mountaintop, y'all, and there are times by the sovereignty of God that you will experience some valleys, but he's right there with you. And it's in those valleys and those famines that we discover things about God that we had not first experienced in the good times. And so the Lord has been helping us and he's been instructing us and helping us to understand how we are to respond in the midst of our famine. As I began to study the Old Testament, I see that there was this cycle, that God would bring them into a season of prosperity and then because of their disobedience, they would experience these famines. In Genesis alone, there are at least three famines. Abraham, the first famine, he goes down to Egypt. In the second famine, Isaac, God instructs him specifically, don't go down to Egypt and do what your daddy did. And last week, we talked about that extensively because in your famine, the first thing you do, and this is an acrostic for the word stretch, the S is you have to stop and listen for what God will say. Because in the midst of your famine, it is highly likely that God will give you an illogical instruction. He told Isaac to stay in his famine and not to follow what his dad did. I am convinced that sometimes the greatest hindrance to our future is our history. We default to what worked the last time. And how many of you realize what got you here may not get you there? And so in your famine, God may instruct you to do something that is counterintuitive. Stay when everybody else is leaving. So when everybody else is holding on. In your famine... Listen for what God will say. Number two, in your famine, in your famine, the T of stretch. The T of stretch is be selective about who you choose to trust. Because not everybody in your circle is in your corner. In fact, let me go a little bit further. In your season of famine, it may become very lonely. It may feel like isolation. The Lord's helped me see that in our famine, it's not Isolation, it's really about his insulation. That God is insulating you from the wrong voices. That might cause you to rethink what he spoke to you. If you're in a season and you're in a famine and it seems like it's getting lonely and you had friends that you used to have and they no longer call you, don't talk to you, don't want to be around you, it could be insulation, not isolation. Because God is protecting you. From voices that will take you away from the illogical instruction. Voices that will try to get you to reason with what God said. So be selective about whose voice you trust in your famine. Number three, the R. We said guard your daily routine. Guard your daily routine. There were things that Isaac did in his famine. He had to go out and break up the fallow ground. He had to sow. He had to figure out a way to irrigate it. And he had to trust that God would bless his efforts. What are your daily routines in the midst of your famine? Uh, and what I've discovered is a lot of times people just wait for God to do it for them. When God says, I will bless the work of your hands. That's why I love the t-shirt that my brother made. It's called Blessed Hustle. Come on, somebody. I need to rock that one day. Because essentially, that's what the gospel is about. Psalm chapter 1 and verse 1, right, talks about your blessed hustle. Guard your daily routine. And I quoted Abraham Lincoln who said, I will study. I will prepare. My time will come. Emmett Smith said it this way, champions are made in the off season. Oh, y'all missed that now. While everybody else is gaining weight, while everybody else is traveling and having a good time, champions take advantage of the off-season. In your famine, what's your daily routine? What are you doing right now to prepare for what is next? Because no season of preparation is wasted time. The scripture is silent about what Jesus did from age 12 to age 30, but I can guarantee you he was preparing for three years of ministry. What we do in public usually lasts a lot shorter than the preparation that happened in private. There's no such thing as an overnight success. Because with every single one of them, there was a season of obscurity. That prepared them for notoriety. And it was about their daily routine. John Maxwell says success doesn't happen in a day, it happens daily. Most of us in our family, we do nothing except cry out to God. When God is saying, Take action and I will bless your efforts. That's why Proverbs 14 and 23 says, All hard work leads to profit. If you're unsure whether you're supposed to work or not, go read the Bible. All hard work leads to profit. Let me stay off of that because that that was last week. Uh, Let me talk to you about what I think we're supposed to talk about this week. Y'all ready? Uh, Here we go. In your famine... You're not only supposed to listen to what God will say and obey the illogical instruction, the things that are counterintuitive to your history and your experience. Not only are you supposed to be selective about whose voice you trust. Not only are you supposed to guard your daily routine, but here's the E of stretch. Y'all ready for this? In your season of famine, you must manage your expectations. Uh, I I can promise you, if you find yourself in a drought, if you find yourself in a dry place, if you find yourself in a famine and you don't manage your expectations, you may not make it out. Huh? I'll say that again. Uh, let me, let me, let me, let me break it down for you. Uh, let me break it down for you. Um. In fact, let me, let me, I'll break it down for you in a second. In a second, but let me get back to the text, okay? Our anchor text, let me, let me, uh, our anchor text today is lifted from uh, 2 Kings uh, chapter 5, verses 1 through 14. I just want to talk to you mano a mano, heart to heart, because this is a game changer. Uh, Wendy and I have been in full time vocational ministry. Uh, depending on how you count the years, about 17 years. We've pastored City Church about seven. we've Done a lot of marriage counseling. And I have come to the realization that marriages and relationships that don't work uh, are not the result of what we often refer to as the top three, communication, sex, and money. Uh, when a relationship struggles and ends, it's usually a result of unmet expectations. Unmet expectations about communication, about sex, about money. I want to talk to you this morning, City Church, about, about expectations, man. Um, and the, the necessity of learning to manage what we expect. Can I say this? The degree of your exasperation right now about whatever it is in your life, whatever the frustration, whatever the exasperation, whatever the struggle is the result of the difference between what you expected and what you're experiencing. Let me say that again. Pastor Jesse, come up here because I got to keep this mic in my hand. Whatever your frustration is right now, it is the direct result... Of the disparity, the distance, the chasm, the separation of what you expected. Put one hand up, Pastor Jesse. And what you experienced. Just right here, just right here. Just right here, like this, like this. There you go. No, like this, exactly. Thank you. All this right here represents the degree of your frustration about something. The way we eliminate or minimize frustration is close the gap. Between what I expect and what I experience. Hmm? I'm going somewhere with this now. What I expected and what I experienced. When they are two different things, I end up exasperated and frustrated. And that will happen in your famine. And if you don't learn to manage this right here and figure out a way to close the gap between your expectation <laughs> and your experience, I'm trying to help somebody now. And I'm helping me. So let's go to the text now. So y'all don't think that... Everybody show your love for Pastor Jesse. Hey, man, wait, wait, wait hold on, hold on. While you're up there like that, just hit that robot real quick, man. Come on, you got it. (laughs) Jesse Daniel in the house. All right, so let's go to the text. Let's go to the text. Y'all with me? Okay, so 2 Kings chapter 5. We're reading from the New Living Translation of the text. Man, the Lord's going to help us this morning. I know it. I know it. I know it. Uh, Before we do that, let's quickly look at what expectation is. Expectation is defined as the degree of probability that something will occur. Mm? So that's our working definition of what expectation is. The degree of probability that something will occur. Now, who determines that degree? Usually we do. And we place expectations on people. We place expectations on ourselves. We even place expectations on God. We place expectations on relationships. And we decide the degree to which that probability exists. We can put high expectations or low expectations. But an expectation is the degree of probability that something will occur. Let me tell you about... Anyway, let me, let me, let me get back to the text. I got to stay, I got to stay on course. So we're going to examine the life of an Old Testament character. I don't know, man. I'm just, I, 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 something's happening to me, man. I don't know if it's excitement or what, man, but I'm bouncing off the walls. I'm bouncing my head. I can't even focus, but it's good though, because I want to get to this message. So here we go. Second Kings chapter five. five, second Kings chapter five. Y'all stay with me. Uh, Uh, As we examine the text, what we're going to discover is an unhealthy response to unmet expectations. Okay? An unhealthy response. Because if it's true uh, that there are going to be times that our expectations will go unmet, we have to learn how to respond. There is a healthy and an unhealthy response when our experiences don't match our expectations. So we're going to examine from the text what an unhealthy response looks like. Are y'all ready? The scripture says, the king of Aram had great admiration of Naaman, the commander of his army, because through him the Lord had given Aram, or Syria, great victories. Ha! But though Naaman was a mighty warrior, he suffered from leprosy. Ah, let me take a moment. I don't want to talk about success. I mean, not, not expectations, but let me just digress for a moment. Uh, it is possible to be a public success ah, and a private failure. It is possible to be covered with honor and armor publicly, but be dying from leprosy privately. And yesterday I told our men in Fight Club. The reason that we ought to live with transparency and vulnerability is because the longer we hide our scars, the less likely it is that the solution that's right around us will even speak up to help because they don't know you're hurting. Here is Naaman on public display. Chairman of the Joint Chiefs of Staff of Aram. Externally, he's a commander and a mighty man of war. Victory after victory, God has wrought by his hands, but on the inside, under all the armor, in spite of all the honor, he's wasting away. And nobody knows it but him. I'm talking to somebody this morning. Here's the problem, though. The solution was right in his house. The solution was right in his house. And it was a little servant girl that was brought back from Israel and was a slave in Naaman's house. Hmm? Be careful how you treat the people around you who may not have a title or status but could be the very people that God has placed in your life with your solution. Here's this servant girl right there in the house, had the solution, but Naaman was covered up, hiding his leprosy. Now I can guarantee you, the longer he hid his leprosy, the closer he got to death. It is at the point of exposure that the healing begins. Good. Good. So the scripture says, one day the servant girl says, hold up, man. I'm in this house and my master is wasting away. Look at verse 2. It said, at this time, Armenian raiders... Uh, uh, had invaded the land of Israel, and among their captives was a young girl who had been given to Naaman's wife as a maid. Oh, Lord, I wish I had time to just talk about that. Oh, Lord. Hmm. Uh, Anyway, verse 3, one day the girl said to her mistress, I wish my master would go see the prophet in Samaria, and he would heal him of his leprosy. Let me tell you now, in your season of famine, whose voice will you trust? Because most of us miss God's message because of our disdain for the messenger. This little maid, this little servant, who are you to tell me how my life's going to get better? man, you work in the mail room. I got a corner suite. I'm a C-suite executive. You ain't got nothing to tell me. And we miss the message and the miracle because of our disdain for the messenger. Okay. Let's fast forward in the story. I don't have time to do this thing verse by verse. I wanted to. But let's fast forward the story. Let's go to verse, where are we? We're on four? Let's go to, uh, let's go to verse eight. Oh, Lord. I got to back this thing up for a second. (laughs) Sorry. (laughs) I got to back this truck up, man. Because when the girl told Naaman, go see the prophet, this is what Naaman did. He went to the king of Aram. And the king of Aram gave him a whole bunch of gold and a whole lot of clothes because it was, it was the honorable thing and it was the custom not to go to a dignitary empty-handed. So he goes, not to the prophet, but to the king. Oh Lord, I wish I had time. I don't, I'm not I want you to just sit in that and think about it for a second. Remember what I told y'all last week? That when 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 the famine came, that Isaac went to the king first. And then while he's talking to the king, God interrupted that conversation. And I said that whoever you go to first in your famine always reveals where you've put your trust. If in your famine, the first person you call is Big Mama. Because Big Mama always had that stash of cash somewhere in the mattress behind the cupboard. And we never learned to make God our. So he goes to the king. He said, the king said, man, I can't help you. Are you trying to kill me? What was?' And so the news gets out in all of, of, uh, of Israel. And Elisha hears about it in a roundabout way. Did that little girl tell him to go see the king or go see Elisha? Elisha, who has the solution now, hears in a roundabout way that this guy's is in Israel and he needs his healing. Look at verse 8. I wish I had time to talk about all this other stuff with Naaman and the king because most of us live there. That's where most of us live. And we never make it to the prophet's house. We become content in the presence of the king. King can't help you. King can't help you. And most of us die with leprosy. Because of our lack of humility. Partial obedience in your famine is disobedience. So Naaman, who, uh, 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 Elisha, heard about what was going on in a roundabout way. Notice what he did. He said, but when Elisha, the man of God, heard that the king of Israel had torn his clothes in dismay, he sent this message to him. He says, why are you so upset? Send Naaman to me. (laughs) And he will learn that there is a true prophet here in Israel. So, verse 9. I'm going somewhere with this. Can you give me verse 9 on the screen? Because I have new King James. I need to read it off the prompter. Thank you. So Naaman went with his horses and chariots. Entourage, bow down when I come to your. What all my my West Coast. Y'all know how y'all, we threw it up in the. That's how Naaman came through there. With his entourage. Where are my East Coast people at? Yo, yo, yo. yo. <laughs> Where all my Atlanta people at? Y'all remember this? <laughs> what am I doing this morning, y'all? Okay. <clears throat> so he shows up with the entourage, man. <clears throat> Coming through there in his chariot. <clears throat> Sitting on four foes. Because that's how we roll up, though, because we are important. whole time you dying. So, Damon went with his horses and his chariots and waited at the door of Elisha's house. I'm getting somewhere with this expectations thing. And I'm going to get there in a second. What, what, what verse are we on? Verse 10. <laughs> Y'all check this out now. Elijah about to flip the script. He about to flip the script. Check this out. But Elisha sent a messenger. Sent a messenger out. To meet him with this message. Go and wash yourself seven times in the Jordan River. Then your skin will be restored and you will be healed of your leprosy. Elijah done messed messed this whole thing up. Because Elisha the prophet didn't come out to Naaman the great commander. It's about to expose now some, some expectations. Mm? Remember, we say this here at City Church all the time. Your environment will determine what you're exposed to. What you're exposed to will determine your experiences, and your experiences will determine your expectation. So Naaman, because of his environment, has a certain expectation. Hmm? His environment says, I am a great commander and everybody bows at my beck and call. So when I show up to see this prophet, that's how he's going to respond. And how many of you realize that in life you may be a man with authority, but there will be environments that God puts you in where you become a man under authority. I'm talking to somebody. Just because you got authority where you got authority. It might be in your house. It might be on your job. It is possible that God will put you in places where you must come under authority. Where everything that used to work for you in Aram has no bearing in Israel. In your famine, learn to manage your expectations. He's about to lose his life. And someone says, this is what you need to do to be made whole. Uh, Listen, listen, listen. In your family, we already talked about it, don't miss your miracle because of the messenger. In your famine, don't miss the miracle because of the method. I'm, I'm, I'm helping you now. Because notice what Naaman says. After the messenger, he came there to be healed. He didn't come there for pomp and circumstance. You got to ask yourself in your famine. Why am I here? What is this about? Instead of making it about peripheral things. You ain't there. For them to throw you a parade? Y'all know I'm back in the marketplace. I'm bivocational now. So I show up. <clears throat> After the first week, the, the thought that was going through my mind was, do these people know who I am? <laughs> I got a CEO in my congregation sitting back there. I got VPs in my congregation sitting over here. Do y'all know who you- Y'all better be out here putting out rose petals when I walk in this building. I'm Pastor Wright, Prince Hakeem, Jaffee Jafford. At City Church, I'm a man with authority. Right down the street, right somewhere here at Renaissance Corporate, I'm a man under authority. Expectations change. And most of us miss it. Because of unrealistic expectations that we place on others to respond to us in a certain way. So here's the deal. I promise you I'm about to wrap this thing up, man. I promise you. Uh, What verse are we on? Verse 11. Notice... I'm talking about an unhealthy response to unmet expectations. Listen to what the scripture says. But Naaman became angry. Let's stop right there for a second. Didn't this guy just tell you what you needed to do to be healed? Now you're getting mad at the person that's trying to help you? Because you didn't like how they said it? Or didn't like the way they told you to do it? And the very people that God has put in your life to help you now become the enemy because of your expectations. Now listen to what happened. It says, Naaman became angry and stalked away. This is a grown man, commander, having a straight up fit, pouting because things didn't happen his way. Because that's what expectation will do now. It's a probability that something will happen. The, what we do is we begin to tell ourselves how it's going to happen, who's going to do it, when it's going to happen, when that's not even a part of the equation. I'm helping y'all this morning. No, no, notice, notice the scripture. Listen to what he says. I thought, <laughs> let's stop right there. <laughs> If you go make it through your famine, you will have to rewrite your inner script. You will have to rewrite the stories that you have told yourself. Because at no point, whether it was the slave girl in his house, whether it was the king of Israel, at no point did anyone tell Naaman this is how this thing is going to happen. He made all of this up. And based on his assumptions, he had unrealistic expectations. Let me tell you where unrealistic expectations start. They start with assumptions. Well, I thought. Well, this is what I thought. Where'd you get that from? Didn't nobody tell you that? But really, I really believe if if he was a Christian and I was a Christian, then we would live happily ever after. Who told you that? Because let me tell you something. You can marry somebody who loves Jesus. And you can love Jesus. But after the first two or three nights, when you realize that he likes to stay up late. And you like to go to bed early. I'm just talking like little things. That he puts the toilet paper on over. And you put it on under. When you realize that he squeezes the toothpaste anywhere on the tube. Come on somebody. And you squeeze from the bottom. That both of us love Jesus thing gets old quick. No, I promise you. but this is what I thought he was going to do. His inner script. The stories he was telling himself about what Nehemiah was going to do and how it was going to happen. Assumptions that become expectations. Let me tell you the antidote for assumptions. You got to communicate clearly. Communicate clearly. In fact, we just finished... (laughs) Our counseling sessions are usually eight weeks. This one went for like 15 weeks, man. <laughs> and those individuals know who they are. But this was the first time, man, where we, 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 we just took some time and just talked about expectations. What do you expect? Because we never talk about it. We just assume that this is the way it should be. One person is a spender, one person's a saver, but we both love Jesus. No, no, no. Y'all hear what I'm talking about? Listen to what he said. Uh, So, so, uh, 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 assumptions that become expectations. He made all of this up in his own head. So, he became angry. He thought he would certainly come out to meet me. Where did that come from? It came from his history. But this is the way that people always treat me. Nobody sends a messenger to Naaman. He need to come out and talk to me. While you're rotting away with your leprosy, though. Uh, Assumptions that become expectations. Notice the next thing. First he says, I thought. The next thing he says, I expected him. Now he's placing a demand. He didn't only think it, but now he's placing a demand for it to happen on his terms. And this is how, in my inner script, Elisha was going to come out to meet me. He was going to wave his hand. And the leprosy was going to go away. Listen to me. Naaman walks away from his healing because of his disdain for the method. Meanwhile, he's dying though. But he's so committed to his expectation. That he walks away from his miracle because of his expectation. So let's put this on the board and I'll let y'all go. Uh, Assumptions become expectations. Expectations become what? Entitlements. I deserve this. It's shifted now. Where you're not just thinking about it. This is what I deserve. You need to get out that room... And come out and meet me and wave. (laughs) And if you don't do it, I'm going to leave. And take my leprosy with me. Right. Thank you, baby. (laughs) Okay. In your famine, what are you saying you deserve? (laughs) <laughs> now those entitlements become something else this thing hold on a to pump the brakes this stuff is like a gremlin don't feed it after midnight and make sure what's the next thing you don't get they don't get wet but it comes it starts with an assumption though but it keeps growing because if you assume it long enough I think like Naaman it becomes I expect and then the expectation becomes an entitlement. Come on, y'all ready for this? Entitlements become. Okay. And demands unfulfilled lead to frustration and exasperation. Naaman storms away when his miracle is right in front of him. In fact, Naaman didn't even have any intention of going back to see Elisha. It was his servants who begged him. Uh, Let's put the text on and then I'm done. And I'm done. Let's put the text on. Uh, uh, 13 or 12. Listen now. He said, aren't the rivers of Damascus... The Abana and the Farpar better than any of the rivers of Israel? This is his inner script though. Why should not wash in them and be healed? Why you got to tell me to go wash in the dirty Jordan? In your famine. There is a tremendous, there is a tremendous uh, degree of character that is revealed in what you are unwilling to do. Okay, your character is not only revealed in what you choose to do. Your character is also revealed in what you are unwilling to do on the way to your miracle. Listen, so Naaman turned and went away in a rage. He wasn't just mad. In a rage. Listen, listen he turned away from his miracle. He turned away from his answer because he wasn't willing to manage his expectations. Verse 13, but his officers tried to reason with him and said, Sir, listen to this. If the prophet had told you to do something difficult, wouldn't you have done it? So you should certainly obey him when he says simply go, wash, and be cured. Here's the third thing. Your miracle is in the mundane. Your miracle is in the mundane. So finally, in verse 14, he decides to go down to the Jordan River and dip himself seven times as the man of God had instructed. It boggles my mind why we don't obey God the first time. Can we? And you've heard me say this before. Can we just be one lap Christians? I'm just going to march around this this desert one time, not 40 years. If he says go dip yourself in the Jordan seven, do it the first time. Why you got to throw a fit first? And then when you calm down, you do it. Most of us are stuck. And a miracle has been waiting for us the whole time. But we just weren't ready to humble ourselves and do what somebody else told us to do. Because he's a commander. no Nobody tell him what to do. Everybody does what he tells them to do. And he's dying away. I got to let y'all go. It's 1133. Next week, y'all got to come back, man. No, next week I'm talking about, um, this is an unhealthy response. And I didn't even get to all of it. I didn't even get to all of it. I just scratched the surface. I just scratched the surface. But next week, we're going to talk about a healthy response to unmet expectations. But notice what he does now. He has this expectation, but his experience was different. What did it produce? Anger. Frustration, exasperation. When he narrowed the gap between what he expected and what he experienced, his miracle happened. And notice he came back to Elisha and thanked him. 180 degree change. The guy who was mad at, he now turns around with gratitude and says, Thank you. What changed? His expectation. What changed? He had to rewrite his inner script. And there are wars that are fought relationally between people, family members, spouses, co-workers. All because of assumptions that became expectations. Here's how I close. Here's how I close. What's my close? There it is. There are two ways to be happy. You improve your reality or you lower your expectations. But I got a problem with that. I got a problem with that. Let me tell you why I got a problem with that. Because we often say, uh, uh, don't expect nothing and you won't be disappointed. Huh? Right, you don't expect anything, you get nothing. That's the flip side. So most of us go through life, and we say here's the expectation, here's the standard, and we have an experience that's here. Uh, There's one or two things that can happen. I can lower my expectations to meet my reality, or I can raise my experience to meet my expectation. The question then is, what is the standard of your expectation? Because there are some expectations that are unrealistic. What I have discovered is that any expectation that is rooted and grounded, established in the word of God is the standard. And anything that fall below, falls below that has to rise to that standard. I don't bring the standard, which is God's word, down to meet my experiences, my behavior, my actions, my preferences. no. Those must rise to the standard. And if we can keep the word of God as the standard, not my preferences, not my inner script. If I can make the word of God the the standard, then I have something to aspire to. And the promise is that every single time God will back it up. In your famine, you got to manage your expectations. If you're in the habit of storming away like Naaman, because things are not going the way you planned it, the way you thought it should happen, people aren't responding to you the way you demand or the way you feel entitled to, examine your expectations. Examine your expectations. Examine your expectations. And it will change the game for how you navigate your famine. Let's pray. Father, we come to you now in Jesus' name.